Thank you for joining us. You're listening to a special edition of Pilgrim's Progress brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our guest speaker today is Pastor and Theologian Russ Lavender.
stand with God Look, the, the church today is removed from a biblical base. I mean, kids are being taught the most ridiculous and false things imaginable. When you don't understand, let me tell you something just really plainly. When you do not understand that sin brings death, you don't know anything. Now, you may be a good scientist or, or, uh, excellent at, you know, balancing a pole on your nose or something like that. I don't know, but I'm talking about biblical understanding. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they've got a doctorate. I don't care who they are. If the, the religious community is rushing after them, if you do not understand that sin brings death, you're not even in kindergarten in terms of biblical understanding. In fact, if you don't know that sin brings death, you cannot properly understand the nature of salvation. How can you understand salvation when you don't even know what we're saved from? And so, I mean, I feel sorry for the young people of this generation. Because they are inheriting a church that is apostate. They're being taught that, you know, that what they have within the four walls is New Testament Christianity. And that is a lie. It's a lie. Before we begin, I want to tell you just one story, uh, just one little point. Um, and the point is to illustrate or demonstrate to you how vital it is or, or how dangerous it is to believe wrong. Do you know that the Jews, when, uh, Israel, when Jesus was, uh, was, uh, uh, incarnate in the time of his life, there was a temple erected specifically for the worship of Jehovah. And you know that biblically, Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. And so they were gathered together and they went through all of their festivals and celebrations and, and feasts and, and uh, sacrifices and all this kind of uh, ritual and routine. And there was a lot of hoopla and excitement and sacrifice. And they came, I mean, personal sacrifice. They came and they went through the motions, okay? And then... Jehovah, all of this activity was about him. He showed up in the temple and they rejected him. Scripture says he came to his own and his own received him not. Can I tell you that one of the, one of the theological or maybe eschatological uh, views of that time was that the Messiah would come on a great white horse with a flaming sword and he would deliver them from all of their political enemies and he would set them up in an earthly kingdom, in earthly power and earthly leadership 
Of course, old Judaism has reared its head again, and that is being taught today. That somehow the Messiah is going to come and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom and all that kind of stuff. That's just old Judaism. It's a revival of a heresy uh, from the first century. But I want you to understand that one of the reasons that Israel rejected Jesus is because he didn't fulfill their expectations or their theology or their belief system concerning the Messiah. So they had a belief system that was false. Jesus himself didn't measure up to their system of belief. And it was one of the basis whereby Jesus was rejected as their Messiah. He didn't, he didn't come like they thought. How dangerous is error? I mean, how dangerous is thoughts about God and about sin and about salvation and, and how necessary it is in order to follow. You know that Peter, uh, Jesus was telling him and the disciples that he was going to have to go up to Jerusalem and face the religious leaders and, you know, the evangelists and pastors and Sunday school teachers and that they were going to crucify him. And that he would rise the third day and Peter said, took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, not so, Lord, you know. This is not going to happen to you. There's, there's, there's going to be a different... See, his conceptions about the Messiah were false. Okay? And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what spirit you're of. In other words, the devil was tampering with his thought life. And it was on some very essential matters concerning the Calvary event and the mission of the Son of God incarnate. Do you know that no one with that mindset can be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why, he, had he not repented of that, he could not have continued to follow Jesus. You can't be wrong on the essentials and be a disciple. And remember, in uh, we, we looked at this verse, uh, I think last week maybe, over there in uh, is it, uh, Timothy, I think it's 2 Timothy, and uh, talking about cleansing yourself from uh, from these, which is false teaching. Uh, in order to be uh, an instrument that is useful to God. You can't be an instrument that it's useful to God and have false doctrine. Uh, this is the greatest disease of our times. It's, it's false doctrine. Kids today don't even know. They don't even know that sin brings death. And if you don't know that sin brings death, you don't know that salvation brings deliverance from sin. If you don't understand the nature of sin, you can't understand the nature of salvation. And really, that's the crux of the confusion anyway. We're somehow saved in our sins, but not from them. And that's a simple study. All you have to do is study prepositions. There's a difference between in and from. Or you can study case. There's a difference between the ablative case, which is a case of separation, which is from, and the preposition helps the case express its function more emphatically, uh or you can study the locative case, which is in. It's in. It's a location. So are we saved in our sins or from our sins? It is very specifically and universally, I mean consistently handled among New Testament writers that we are delivered from sin, not in. 
And there's a difference between being a hundred miles from Detroit and in Detroit. The, the young people today are being, they are, they are being given an apostate gospel, an apostate doctrine. It is false to the scriptures. Somebody needs to say something about it. I'm, I guess I'm not willing to just pass on and try and succeed. See, let's keep our mouth shut about some of this controversial stuff and maybe we can get a crowd in here and get some more money. That's what it's about for a lot of ministers, not this one. We're going to take a stand if it kills us. <laughs> and I don't want to be the only voice either, by the way. Plenty of persecution to pass around. I would like for there to be a congregation of people that understand the basics of the faith and that are restored to New Testament Christianity. Sin brings death. Let's look at the chart. Old Testament. The devil's position against God in Eden was a proclamation contrary to that of the Almighty. You remember that God said in the book of Genesis, he's talking to the couple there, and he told them that in the day that you eat of the tree, in death you will die. In other words, there's a... there. Look, you know, God gave man the power of contrary choice. It's called freedom of will. And he had to represent that in some way in the garden, else there was no possibility of a contrary choice. Therefore, God would have uh, not volitional service. Volitional. God wants somebody to choose him, to want to obey him, to want to be with him for eternity. And so the garden, rep, the, the garden had a tree in it that was forbidden. Now, you can eat of all the treat, but not that one. And if you do, you will die. And you know what happened. They died spiritually instantly. They died physically imminently. And so there's a judgment on sin. Sin brings death. The devil said, you shall not surely die. This is so amazing to me that people can hear preached in pulpits, the very words of Satan. And somehow they think some confused way that this is now the truth. How can that be? Oh, that's what Rick said one time, I think, that Jesus must have died in order to make Satan's words true. Does that make sense to you? If it does, you are very confused, which wouldn't surprise me. Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Genesis 3.3, 3, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Isaiah 59, verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. Jeremiah 31, 30, But everyone, uh, but everyone shall die for his own sin. 
Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Verse 20. Ezekiel 33, 18, when the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. That's actually a very good verse of scripture in Ezekiel there. It's talking about if a wicked man, I mean, does all kinds of wicked stuff and terrible stuff, and then he turns from all that and then does good, God said, I'm not going to remember your past. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to forgive that. I'm not going to, um, exact the penalty and I'll just remember the good that you did. In other words, somebody repented, they turned from all of that. And then he, and then he gives another point, and that is that if a good man turns from his goodness and, and does wrong, then God won't remember his goodness either. And so God treats a man according to, uh, his real nature and where he really is. Uh, Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one. You know that Adam, when he sinned, the Calvinists will teach that we all sinned. In, in Adam's bowels, which is a ridiculous absurdity because I didn't exist. Uh, hello, uh, and if I don't exist, I cannot act. Uh, and so what happened to us, we, we, we were acted upon. Uh, we didn't act in Adam's bowels, uh, but we were acted upon in that we bear the fallen image of Adam. Okay? Romans 5, 12, centered into, in, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Say, so it is death, it not shall be death. You know, there's so much confusion about the subject of sin, and it's just abs- It's The reason is there's not a clear teaching on what salvation is. So, so there's a great deal of confusion. I mean, I know all kinds of people who can't say for sure when you die spiritually, if you even do. The majority of people believe that you can continue in rebellion against God and still go to heaven because the essence of salvation is not deliverance from sin. It's election. God elected in eternity that this one be saved and that one be damned. And therefore, despite anything that you may or may not do, you get to go to heaven. Again, the God of Calvinism is a monster. He's a monster. And in fact, it is demonic teaching. All Calvinism, all five points, doctrines of demons. Really, and you know, the world will find that out, but it'll be too late. The religious community will find it out soon as they die that Calvinism is false, that it was actually the teaching of demons. And so people don't understand uh, that they don't understand salvation to begin with. Uh, Romans seven verse nine: Sin revived, and I died. Um, Paul's talking. Paul's discussing his life under law. Law brings knowledge of sin, and and uh, that is death. Uh, sin is a look. Sin and death are inseparable. Jesus didn't die to, to, uh, to make sin not bring death. He died so that you could be delivered from sin. You're only delivered from death because you're delivered from sin. Sin and death are inseparable. They're, they're in a, uh, uh, inseparable relationship. 
James 1.15, and sin, every man is tempted, drawn away of his own lust and entice. When sin is conceived, it brings forth sin. And what sin is conceived, brings forth sin is accomplished. Bring, oh, geez, let me do it again. I, it's a stimulus response chain in my head. So if I get messed up, I can't remember. And dad's doing the King James and I think I'm doing the new King James. Uh, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. That's way too much for my head. I'm overloaded. <laughs> sin brings death. Uh, and, and so James 5, 19 through 20 said, my brothers, if any of you do err away from a pa, the truth, and one convert him, let him know that the one turning the sinner out of the error of his way will save a soul out of his death. That's a brother who departed from the truth, became a sinner again, because they're no longer a Christian. That's what happens when you depart from the truth. See, people don't understand. They think that, again, I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to train you. I'm trying to give you verses of Scripture and arguments so that when you meet some poor, confused, religious individual, you might could be a, you know, a, a light to them. Eternal life is not an independent possession. Eternal life does not exist outside of God. Eternal life is not extraneous to the giver. Eternal life is in the Son. It's First John. It's actually the divine nature. The eternal in is it's the eternal life is the divine nature. You can't have it as an independent possession. You can only have it by participating in the life that is in God. You have to have fellowship with God in order to have life. Fellowship with God. That's why the example might, but but you know. So, uh, so my father and I, and I'll always be his son, even if we have a bad relationship. Even if I'm in rebellion against him, I'll always be his son. See, once a son, always a son. Well, that's logic off premise, is what we say. First of all, because when you participate in the life of God, it's based on a right relationship. When you, when you sever a right relationship with God, you no longer participate in the life that is in Christ. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If you walk in the darkness and claim to have fellowship with Him, you're a liar and do not the truth. You've got to walk in light as He is in the light in order to participate in eternal life. And so salvation is transformation, not and as if, back to James 5, 19 through 20, says, my brothers, they're Christians, err. Uh, the, the translation means to go astray, wander, i.e. from the truth. The wandering one, when converted, is saved. The sinner is turned out of a state or condition of death. The essence of once in grace, always in grace, is to speak with the devil against God, as in Eden. 1 John 3, 6, everyone that sins has not seen him, neither known him. Note, not a statement of the impossibility of sin uh, once saved. See 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing unto you, you may not sin even once from this point forward, but if you were to sin once from this point forward, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, 
the righteous. He himself is atonement concerning our sins. Not ours only, but concerning the sins of the whole world. Young people today are inheriting an apostate church. They do not understand the the very, I mean, basics, kindergarten level, and I'm not throwing off on the young people. It's really not their fault. It's leaders' fault because they don't understand the basics of the faith. I mean, uh, leadership is in deception about the nature of sin and the nature of salvation. And so let me, uh, let's just do a little bit of history and, uh, this will be helpful for you. Ignatius, uh, AD 115 says, the tree is known by its fruits. So they who profess to be of Christ shall be seen by their deeds, for the deed is not in present profession, but is shown by the power of faith, if a man continue to the end. I'm talking about perseverance here. Perseverance in obedience. Uh, her, uh, Hermas. A.D. 148 says, he said to me, you have heard correctly, for that is so. For he who has received remission of sin ought never to sin again, but to live in purity. He's talking about uh, the apostolic fathers, He's talking about the early fathers. Polycarp, A.D. 150 says, for if one be in this company, he has fulfilled the command of righteousness, for he who has love is far from all sin. Justin Martyr, A.D. 155 to acknowledge this Christ to be washed in the fountain spoken of by Isaiah for the remission of sins and henceforth to live without sin. Well, you're branded as a heretic today if you're to say something like that. Uh, and, and we're certainly, uh, you know, out of step with a church that is out of joint with its Lord. You know that Jesus is no longer the head of the religious community. He is no longer the head, and the Holy Spirit is no longer the governor. The Holy Spirit's not in charge, although there's a lot of spirit talk. Uh, Iranius, about eighty-one, eighty-five, says, and through obedience, doing away with disobedience completely, for he bound the strong man and set free the weak and endowed his own handiwork with salvation by destroying sin. Uh, note the devil's position. You shall not surely die. And so the devil's position is sin does not bring death. Greek philosopher Plato said, but having become good to remain in a good state and be good is not possible and is not granted to man. God, on, God only has this blessing. But man cannot help being bad when the force of circumstances overpowers him. This is Greek philosophy. This isn't Christianity, but it sounds like Christianity. I've heard preachers on the radio say stuff like that. Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, How then is it possible to be sinless? It is impossible. But this is possible to strive not to sin. I've heard sermons in the chapel service at Oral Roberts University that were just that content. You can't really live above sin, but you should strive really hard to. What is that? That is on the level of Greek philosophy, not Christianity. And it's not Christianity. 
And so note here the doctrine changes on the sin issue in Christendom and so continues to our day. In our time, Arminians and Wesleyans have suppressed the truth about this apostasy, uh, not showing that it is apostasy. And sinning religionists have worked essentially unopposed, enjoying recognition as evangelicals. The Gnostics cannot in any measure suffer hurt or loss or lose their spiritual substance, whatever the material acts in which they may be involved. In other words, you know, the pig uh, has the, uh, you know, the, the pearl fallen down in the pig pen uh, doesn't use, lose any of its essential quality, even though uh, outwardly it's in the mire, you know. And that's a Gnostic philosophy. Origin. Charles Brown says the doctrine that most Christians sinned came in like a flood. H. Windish maintained that it was Origen who legitimatized sinfulness in Christianity. And so you understand, look, the apostles foresaw it and they told about it. The apostle Paul said that there was going to come a great apostasy, which is a departure from the faith. They're going to depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And that's what this is. It is the doctrine of a demon. And you can trace it back to the devil himself in the Garden of Eden. And so Origen comes along, he legitimatizes sinfulness in Christianity, sin in Christianity brought together by Gnostics, and it continues to our time. You, you probably don't understand the history of, uh, you know, the latter part of, um, uh, the, the New Testament church. The apostle John, he's about 90 years old. He's the last surviving apostle. And it was the greatest, uh, threat and storm against the early church. It was called Gnosticism. And that's why he wrote the first epistle of John. And when he put his pen down, the day of inspired scripture was closed. And the last thing he said was, little children, guard yourselves against idols. That is to say, false conceptions of God. And the Gnostics uh, eventually contaminated the church. And this is the result. Uh, sin doesn't hurt my spirit. It's just what we do with our body, but that really doesn't count. My spirit's pure, but what I do, you know, maybe not be so great, but my spirit remains pure. That's pure first century Gnosticism. But, but you hear that in teaching today. Tertullian says, there are some sins of daily committal to which we are all liable. Who will be free from using manual violence? I guess that means beating your animal or something. Or else carelessly speaking evil or else rashly swearing or else lying from bashfulness or necessity. So what? That's the extent of... Here's the beginning of Dark Ages religion where you can't keep from lying. What? You can't keep from swearing. You can't keep from beating your wife or your husband. What? Insanity. 
And you know what people do? They bring down Christian experience to where they already are. See, I've got this experience, and it really doesn't affect any of my attitudes or my behavior or anything, but I am going to heaven. No transformation, no salvation. No. No. James, your religion is useless. It hasn't helped you to tame your tongue. False religion. Augustine, said to be the founder of the Roman Catholic Church, it's claimed that the five points were formulated implicitly by Augustine. Calvin claimed he could write his confession of faith out of Augustine's writings. Martin Luther said, sin as you like, provided you believe. Sin as you like, provided you believe. Uh, Believe what, I wonder? And then he said, at once righteous and a sinner. At once righteous and a sinner. See, we have lost the truth, the very simple truth that sin brings death. Gnosticism has entered in. And now we don't believe in deliverance from sin, and so we've got to be able to say that you're saved and sinful all at the same time because you can't be delivered from sin. So therefore, you have to be able to be saved and sinful. John Calvin, we maintain, therefore, that sin always exists in the saints. Sin in the saints? Uh, what? See, they're, they're, uh, until they are divested of the mortal body. But we maintain, according to the doctrine of Scripture, the only standard of righteousness and sin, that the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sinneth it shall die, but that the sins of believers are venial, that is to say, not causing death of the soul. Oh, the sin of the world kills them, but the sin of the Christian doesn't kill them. Because Jesus died to change the relationship of sin and death, because he couldn't die to change the relationship between the individual and sin. He couldn't save somebody from sin, so he had to make sin not bring death anymore. What a confused mess. Not the gospel. Not Christianity. The Westminster Confession of Faith, they whom God hath accepted in the beloved, effectually called, sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally, finally fall away from the state of grace, nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, uh, the prevalency of the corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their pers- uh, preservation fall into grievous sins. These are accepted, effectually called, cannot finally fall away from the state of grace, even though they may fall into grievous sins. So, not security, a false security. Once saved, always saved. So why do you think that they have to say once saved, always saved? Because they don't understand the nature of salvation. They think it's by election, but it's not. It is by faith in the blood of Christ. It's through repentance, not election. You may believe, you may not believe. You may be saved, you may not be. Charles Hodge, he says, uh, 
it's on uh, Greek word doesn't mean that he destroyed sin, but that he punished it. We'll pass on that point. Dr. Lewis Sperry Schaefer, through the present priestly advocacy of Christ in heaven, there is absolute safety, listen to this, and security for the father's child, even while he is sinning. You have literally, I mean literally, multitudes, millions of people who are trusting their leaders to tell them the truth. And this man is deceived. And the blind are leading the blind. And what happens when the blind lead the blind? They both fall in the ditch. So, so you're saying that, you know, the poor, innocent followers of false teachers experience the same destiny and judgment as the false teachers? Yes. We need to lift a standard. And we need to continue to do what we're doing, but we need to, you know, do something so that there is at least the opportunity for another choice in terms of belief. Michael S. Horton, you've probably heard of him. When a person trusts Christ that very moment, he or she is clothed in the perfect, in perfect holiness, his perfect holiness, so that even though the believer is still sinful, he or she is judged by God as blameless. Don't understand the very basics. I wouldn't let Michael S. Horton or Dr. Lewis Sperry Schaefer work in our nursery because they're not qualified. The doctrine that sin does not bring death began in Eden. And among the Greek philosophers, sin could not be avoided in this life. Then the Gnostics claim that sin did not cause us to lose uh, our salvation. Strangely, the Calvinists take all three positions. One, sin does not bring death. That's the lie of the devil in Eden. Two, cannot be free from sin while in the body. The error of Greek philosophy apart from divine revelation. Three, sin and salvation cannot exist in the same life at the same time. The position a can exist in the, in the same life at the same time, the position of the Gnostics. The Calvinists are in league with hell on this issue. Accordingly, they're getting more and more people to know less and less about Christianity. And it's happening because they are essentially unopposed. The full truth is not being told about this apostate religion. What people do not understand... I mean, they just don't understand. I mean, well, there's a ton of things that they don't understand. I wouldn't. I guess I should limit that, but um, they don't. I guess most people don't know that the church apostatized. It departed from the faith. We went into the dark ages. Everybody was a Catholic. I mean, you can buy souls from that are in hell now, out of hell, or out of purgatory, or whatever, with, you know, five bucks or something. I mean, it's pagan religion. It's dark ages. We were all Catholics. 
And, and then, you know, the Protestant, Martin Luther came along, he made the necessary break from Roman Catholicism, but he didn't restore anything of New Testament Christianity. And then, uh, you know, Calvin and uh, Protestant reformers came along and they took the, the, do, they took major doctrines and salvation vocabulary from the, the, the Catholics. They took their uh, atonement theory. They took their salvation vocabulary. What people must understand is that Reformation is progressive, and we're still in the process. And New Testament Christianity hasn't been recovered yet. You can't go to any church in this country and find New Testament Christianity. It's practically extinct. You can find Catholicism. You can find Protestantism, which is just the daughter of Catholicism. It's really not any better. Talking about Jesus being punished and the Father forsaking Jesus and so forth, you know, and on and on. And his blood is no better than the Levitical animal in terms of the removal of sin. That's not any better than praying to Mary. So people don't even understand. Poor, I feel sorry for young people today. They think that they stumble into a church, you know, that, that this is it. And the more hilarious and, you know, talk about tongues and gifts and all that sort of thing, the more deceptive it is. I'm a little frustrated this week. So that's it. I'm done. I, I just wanted to tell you that there are certain, you know, things that we're just going to have to hold a line on and not compromise. Um, for any reason. And I, I am, I, I am just, I am, uh, I'm frustrated. I'm appalled. I'm, uh, you know, I just can't believe how biblically illiterate religious people are. You don't know the very first thing. Is there any questions? Just a question or two about it. Somebody is really, you know, got the argument for you and you need a verse or a phrase. Maybe we can help you. People don't believe that sin brings death because they don't understand that salvation brings deliverance from sin. They've got to mix it some way. They know very well Jesus can't save them, really. Not in this life for crying out, but hey, we're only human, you know, and you've heard all of that string of ridiculous argument. So they have to come up with some way where you can be participating in life and also in sin. Where Jesus can kind of so co-lord it with sin in this life till we can get this body laid down, doggone it, you know, the body of sin. Well, that's not what it means anyway. Jesus had this body, a, a physical body, human nature, not the fallen nature. Salvation is deliverance from the fall. It is restoration to the image of God. And until the church can come on over and have a right view about the atonement and salvation and salvation vocabulary, it'll continue on in cloudy day religion, a mixture of light and darkness. Questions? Really, I mean, the truth is not to discourage anybody, but um, the government's not going to help us on these moral issues anyway. And no candidate's going to help. 
Not Republican, not Democrat. None of them are going to help us. Uh, they've been trying, they've been running, it's like Dad said, you know, they've been, Republicans been running on the abortion thing for 30 years or something with nothing, no change, nothing. It's really the church's assignment. It's the church, I mean, the church can't do it because it doesn't have the gospel. It doesn't even believe in transformation. What in the world kind of, what, what, what can you tell a culture that sins all the time? What can you tell them when the church says of themselves, they sin all the time? What's the difference? There's no difference. No transformation for anybody. So it doesn't matter. The, the gospel, the, the, uh, the, the contemporary church cannot be an agent of social reform. Okay. I mean, really deeply to the heart can't. It can maybe help people, you know, uh, not to be as overtly violent. Go ahead, Mike. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said it, and he went on to say, um, I used to believe that the church would suffer because of the sin of the world. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that the world is suffering because of the sin of the church. The church is the only vehicle for transformation. And it's in compromise. Right. Yeah, um, that's what people say, uh, you know, uh, and I, I heard that actually this week. You know, what about God's love? You know, well, God's love doesn't save anybody. I mean, the question then is, doesn't God love everyone? And now if you're a Calvinist, you answer that question, no, God doesn't love everyone. But for people who actually have a Bible and a little bit of sense, God loves everyone, even people that are going to go to hell. Okay, God loves everybody, and the point is, God's love isn't automatically saving. It's provisional. Well, yeah, exactly, but so for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes. But if you don't believe, you perish. So it's John 3.16 and what, Mark 16.15 through 20 there. Um, but it's right there too, 16, 17, 18. If you just look at that, you'll see that God's love is provisional and it saves no one. God's love doesn't save anyone. It's because it's salvation is not automatic. It is volitional. You choose to believe or you choose to rebel against God. And that's what determines destiny. Not the love of God. So, yeah, there are all kinds of little things like that. You know, once saved, always saved. Once a son, always a son. And you go to scripture and disprove all that stuff. You know, but God's, up. but what about grace? Well, God gave, gives grace to transform you. People are taught that grace is to overlook sin. That's false. That's not what grace is. Grace is, grace is to transform so that God doesn't have to overlook that was the last dispensation where God passed over their sins because removal wasn't possible, because sin can't be removed by the blood of an animal. But the Son of God came to remove sin. So God doesn't pass over sin anymore. He removes it. So what about grace? Oh, it removes sin, not passes over sin. People just want an excuse to sin. That's what they want. So they're looking for a religion that will justify their own rebellion. And the tragedy is they will be able to find it, probably on every corner.